Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And Lord, we just ask your blessing upon your word this morning. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching and through your Holy Spirit that you would stir our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few weeks ago, if you're new or visiting, we started the book of Psalms, and so we're going to go through each and every Psalm verse by verse. So Psalm 4, and again, remember, these are songs, songs, and so as we go over these and read these, there's a, a lot of heart involved with these. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, notice that, not a cappella, with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David, and this is considered an evening Psalm. And if you just want to keep this in mind, I have a poor memory, so I just try to find round dates. David lived around 1000 BC, 1000 BC. So this song was written roughly 3000 years ago. Again, remember, it's a song. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me. And hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. And Selah, we mentioned last week, is most likely a musical pause, which means think about it. In this, in this setting, it's think about this. Think about what I just said. Well, here we see the thrust of our Christian faith. God is our righteousness, even as we celebrate communion this morning. Notice David says, hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. David acknowledges that it's not by works, his own good works. Because this morning, around the world, there are many, many religions promoting works for salvation. And they have a concept of Jesus, some he's a good man, uh, some he's a great prophet, um, some will even say he is the son of God, but you still have to do certain works in addition to what Jesus did to get to heaven. That is not biblical. We're only saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any person should boast. And so here we see that David, first and foremost, acknowledges that God is the source of his righteousness. David also shows us that when we come under distress, we can actually grow through it and become stronger because of it. In the King, in the New King James, it says, you have relieved. Right there in the middle of verse 1, it says, you have relieved me in my distress. In the King James, it says, thou hast enlarged. Thou hast enlarged. Those three words in the Hebrew, in both translations, mean to broaden. To broaden. So that's why David says, think about that. To broaden. To broaden. You see, in David's life, there was much distress imposed by others, as well as by himself, unfortunately. Yet David consistently, consistently went back to the source of his salvation, God is Heavenly Father. And as he did this, as he consistently went back, he found new strength and deeper understanding in his life. So what? What took place? The Holy Spirit broadened his trust in God. The Holy Spirit broadened his trust in God. And we spoke about this last week, so this might seem a little repetitious. And as we go through the Psalms, there's obviously going to be repetition. You see, as we go through trials, as we go through tribulations, 
It gives God an opportunity through us to broaden our trust in him. God doesn't need to trust in himself. You know, oftentimes we're afraid of doing something, and then once we do it, then we start to trust in ourselves. Oh, I, I can do that. I would never ride a skateboard. I didn't trust myself. I, to this day, I will not ride a skateboard. I know what will happen. But there are others who love riding skateboards, and they, they can then trust themselves. They broaden their trust in themselves, so they're not afraid to do that. It's the same thing in our Christian walk. If we're afraid to trust in God, God desires to broaden that trust. So as we go through trials and tribulations, we need to walk through them, not try to get around them. Because as we go around them, that doesn't broaden our trust in God. That just says, well, I got myself out of that one. Oh, I, it took a lot more money, but I, I got it. I got it done. Where if we just maybe would have trusted in God, maybe it wouldn't have cost us any money. Yeah, I've shared this over the years. When I went into full-time ministry, I took a half a cut in pay and no benefits. Our family went 10 years with no health insurance. Our children were... Six, eight, ten, and thirteen at the time. You figure out the numbers. For ten years, during the teenage years, during the driving years, during the breaking bone years, we went with no health insurance. And we had fewer bills during that ten years than we had with one year when I was at Motorola Medical Wise. You see, God broadened our trust in Him. And we leaned upon him wholeheartedly. And we knew you're going to take care of us. And he did through all of those years. Absolutely. Through all those years, he absolutely did. You see, in the New Testament, Paul wrote to encourage the early saints to continue growing in joy despite the afflictions that this new life in Christ was placing upon them. James proclaims that we should count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of us like counting it all joy? Yeah, right, James. Give me a break. Peter also tells us that through the trials of our faith, we will become stronger, more precious than gold. More precious than gold. You see, the trials and the faith that is developed because of those trials cause us to grow and produce more fruit as believers. Think about these early disciples. This fruit was then acknowledged throughout the whole known world and Jesus, not them, Jesus was glorified in the midst of the people. Again, don't run. Don't run from your trials, but let God carry you through them for he will literally be there for you as we've experienced in the last six months with my wife's cancer situation. God is with us. He never left us. He never forsook us. He's still with us today. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Trust. Allow, allow the Holy Spirit to broaden your trust in God. Verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart himself for himself, him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. You see, when we set apart time for God, God does a work in our lives. And I, I would venture to say that all of us could give a testimony about that simple fact. The problem is life happens and we get busy. And marriage happens and kids happens and career happens and this happens and that happens. And we just busy, and especially in America, busy, 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 all the time busy. 
So we forget to set that time aside for the Lord. And you have to. I have to. I could get up out of bed. I, I'm a morning person. I could get out of bed and run immediately to work. I could just hit the ground running. It would, I don't need a cup of coffee. Yeah, I just do it. Let's get busy. So I have to command my soul. I have to be disciplined to sit down and spend time with God. Because at the end of the day, I'm not a night person. I fall asleep. You could be sitting there talking to me. I'm going to fall asleep on you. Eight, nine o'clock, once I get in a comfortable place, something better be happening because my head's going to be nodding and I'm going to be impolite, you think. No, I'm just tired. I've been, I've been going all day. That's just me. So you got to know who you are. So putting off studying till the end of the night never works. Within the first two or three sentences of the chapter of the Bible, I'm nodding. I'm falling asleep. Prayer, kiss it goodbye. So you have to figure that out about yourself. When is the best time to give God that time to judge my heart? See, that's what it's all about. You know, the world says, don't judge. Don't judge, man. We just read in the Bible, having communion to evaluate our hearts. Then we are called to judge. But first and foremost, judge our own hearts. This is what David is saying. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear him. The Lord will hear when I call to him, be angry and do not sin. How can I be angry and not sin if I don't judge? There is such a thing as righteous anger. We should get angry at things. But again, we have to be careful with our anger. God's anger was never emotional. It was justifiable. He just didn't fly off the handle because he was having a bad day. No, there was always a justification. Look at the life of Jesus. He didn't get often angry, but when he got angry, it was totally justifiable. He didn't hang on to it. He did it. He proclaimed why he did it, and then he moved on and gave an example to us. So there is a time for righteous indignation. Let's look at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. You see, as David is allowing this judgment to happen in his life, He's able to meditate on his bed and be still. And it should cause us to be still as well, especially in the evening when our enemy seems to attack us through those doubts and fears. Exodus 14 says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still. Isn't that interesting? Do not be afraid. I think that's probably the first thing that happens in, t- in, in our minds and in our hearts. You know, when we get bad news, what happens? I mean, it's just in- instinctive. Fear. Panic. What am I going to do? That's just reality. So Moses proclaims, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Again, that's hard for us to stand still which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. You see, as we begin to stand still and know, we grow in understanding the rest that God has for us. The rest. And it's hard to rest 
When the enemy is placing doubts in your mind, fear in your mind, it's hard to rest. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 and learn a biblical principle, a Christian principle. What do you mean rest? That means I need to take a nap? No, it's not talking about that type of rest. It's talking about a spiritual rest. Again, keep that in mind about the broadening. Broadening. He broadens his trust in God. God desires to broaden our trust in him. Hebrews 4, 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Yet there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. Rest, rest, what rest? Again, it's not the physical rest. We need physical rest, yes. But this is basically, you could replace it with the word trust. Trust, trust, trust. Trusting God. Labor to enter that trust. That God has all things under control. That God is doing a work. That I don't like what I'm going through. I have all these emotions, which, yeah, we have those. But at the end of the day or the hour or the end of the minute, I can step back and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can be still and trust that God has a plan. So I can rest. I can take a deep breath. Thank you, God. Because, boy, this is out of control. I don't like this at all. But I'm going to rest. Remember last week? Because of what you did 30 years ago. What you did 20 years ago. What you did 10 years ago. God, I can rest because of what you just did last week. Or maybe what you just did this morning. Thank you, God, that I can rest. But notice what we have to do. That takes a labor. Because the flesh just wants to go ballistic. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And here's a verse that you probably have memorized. For the word of God is living and powerful. So keep that in flow with the context. What is Paul saying? Rest, rest, labor into that rest. Well, how do you do that? By studying the Bible. He says it in the next verse. And as you look at the saints of old and you see how God provided for them and took care of them, did catastrophe come into their lives? Yes, but God provided and protected them. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Back in the Psalms. Meditate within your heart on your bed, and be still. You don't have to toss and turn. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to command my soul to be still because I'm going to see your hand tomorrow as I've seen it in the past. Verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust In the Lord. Going back to verse 2, David is basically counseling the wicked to offer themselves unto the Lord for his service. 
Put your trust in Him and not in the offerings of religiosity in your works. Religion will teach us to sacrifice this and to sacrifice that in order to gain acceptance by God. But as Christians, as we celebrated this morning, we already have been accepted by God through the blood sacrifice of Jesus. Now the Heavenly Father desires us to learn of that sacrifice and walk in its covering. First Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all malice, ill will, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Interesting, this past week, um, I finished up Colossians with the, the high school uh, young adults that come over from ALA, and so I'm doing open questions. And so ask any question, and so they wrote down a question, and the question this week was, is cursing a sin? Is cursing a sin? Good question. And so I just picked their brains and asked them about their culture and what's happening in their lives. And and one of the young people actually said, well, my parents swear at me all the time. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. All right. Um, so is cursing a sin? And then we just said, well, let's look, 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 look at the Bible. And we just looked at three or four verses. And here's another verse right here. And all evil speaking. Uh, yeah, cursing is a sin. We shouldn't be doing it. We shouldn't be doing it. We should be praising God. The Lord delivered me of this many, many years ago. Now when I hit my hand, I say, praise God. Oh, man, that hurt. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going, what a knucklehead. Why was my finger there? That's the way I deal with it. I've got this, I've got this shed. I'm 6'2". It might not look like it, but I'm 6'2". And the door frame is at about 5'11". So for the first year when we moved in, bam! Ugh. God, help me remember to duck my head. It hurt. I did it the other day after seven years. Just, just that one time of forgetting because I've gotten in that habit. Just duck, just duck, just duck. Bam! Oh, God, help me remember. Just, it's just a heart transformation. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. That you may grow thereby. Notice, rest, the word. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Notice that. Think about that. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? When you hit your head, it's like, oh God, you're so good. I, I just could have took out an eye. Thank you, God. That's my dumb thinking, you know. When something flies past me, when I'm using a power tool, I just go, oh, thank you, God, that didn't hit me. Because, man, that was moving fast. You know, it's, again, just going back to the word, praise him, give thanks to him in all things. Now, that's hard to do. I don't always do this, but I'm just saying it's hard to do. But the more you work at it, the easier it becomes. You just learn to say, thank you, God. What a knucklehead I am. Verse 6, chapter 4, Psalm 4. There are many who say, who will show us any good? And then David says, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. He doesn't listen to those who are emotional. Those who are saying, well, who, who's this God you're talking of? Who will show us any good? David doesn't go on the emotional. He goes on the facts. And David was an emotional guy. If you know anything about David, if you're reading your word, David was an emotional guy. He stuck with the facts. 
more than in, you have put gladness in my heart. Notice this. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. Even though the wicked increased, even though they've got a lot of things. Lord, you put gladness in my heart. Because guys, we all know things, things are supposed to make us happy. When you watch a show, what are they doing in between those segments? They're trying to tell you you're unhappy. You need a new car. You're unhappy. You need to drink a certain beverage. You're unhappy. You need a certain diet. You're unhappy. You're unhappy. They're promoting you need something because you're unhappy. No, I'm quite content. Thank you. We just have alternate channels so we don't listen to those silly things. Use your web. I mean, use the remote. That's what's just alternate channel. Mute it, alternate channel. It drives people crazy that when they're in my house, but it's got, who cares? <laughs> so there are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You see, the scoffer will not, will not nor encourage others to look to God. There might have been men with David that just felt like it was over. There was no escape. Yet David just kept looking to the Lord. Lord, lift up the light of your countenance. Your countenance there, those two words mean your face. Lord, lift up your face. Look at me. For us today, the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Look to the cross. Thank you, God. You have put gladness in my heart. More than in the season that their grain and wine offering increased, I will both lay down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see, when we stop and realize that God is consistently looking upon us, our hearts should become content and satisfied. We come to understand that God is not through working with us and never will be. You see, even when we give up on Him, He never gives up on us. Ever. And I'd venture to say again, we could probably have a testimony time where every single one of us in this room said, you know what, I gave up on God. It might have been momentarily. It might have been for a day or a week or a month. But we did. We just said, you know what, whatever. I'm going to play the Christian game, but I really don't believe it. I'm not into this. And you went through the motions. You see, even when we walk away, when we turn back to God, we smack our nose right into Him because He was always there. And even when others might increase in physical things, when we don't, our hearts are increased because of the joy that God has instilled within us. Because many people base their happiness upon physical things. Yet physical things come and go. As 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7 tells us, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Naked we came, naked we will return. When we focus upon God and the wonderful things He has given unto us, even if they are a few, the joy of the Lord remains, and that joy will go deeper and deeper and deeper than any physical aspect of this life. But how deep it runs will depend upon how deep we allow God to take us. David allowed God to take him deep, very deep, and it took years. It took years. It didn't happen overnight. It took years. It took a commitment on the part of David. But notice the last verse here in this psalm. In this song, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. 
For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Good psalm to read for us even at the end of the day. And maybe a good question to ask is, did I allow God to do a work in my life today? Psalm 5. It's hard to read this psalm without singing a song. Uh, It's a song from early Calvary. To the chief musician with flutes. Notice the different instruments as we read through the psalms here. So this psalm is sung with flutes, accompanied with flutes. A song of, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. It's hard to, it's hard to say it without singing it. You see, the more, it'd be great to have these, to, to know the original songs. It'd be so awesome because we would then remember the word of God easier, as I mentioned last week. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King. Notice capital K. David, if he wrote this when he was a king, don't know for sure, but he's a king. Yet he says, my king and my God. For to you I will pray. Give ear to, as it starts out, it means to expand, to broaden out the ear. You know, David really desired God's attention here, which is a good thing. But let's ask a question at this point. Would we be asking God to consider our meditation? When you look up the word meditation, it means to murmur, an example, complaint. Murmur, a complaint. Hmm. What is our complaint today? Is it about our own desperately wicked heart or against someone else's? Is that our murmur? Is that our complaint? You see, if we are meditating upon evil things, do we really desire God to consider them? That's just a question to ask. If we are really meditating upon evil things, do we really desire God to consider it? It's important that when we desire to seek the Lord for His benefits, whether for our own or for others, that we seek Him in sincerity and truth. Not to murmur or complain about someone else, but rather to murmur against this old flesh that I have to carry around, that I might have strength to crucify it as Jesus taught us. And then in verse 2, hundreds of years after the reign of David, a prophet lived and spoke of the coming Messiah in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And here we see King David that he had a personal relationship with the ultimate king, and he asked the king of the universe to take heed or to hearken to his request. Because why? Because David was seeking after God's counsel. God's counsel. Notice in verse 2 there, give heed. It means to pay, to be attentive, to pay attention. I, I look at this as David saying, give heed to my prayer so that I might hear back from you. Not just give heed to my prayer because I'm telling you what to do because I know better than you. No, give heed to my prayer 
so that I can hear back from you. Because you ultimately know what is best. Notice that David was going to the source of his answer, not the source of his problem. Again, this is so easy for us. We, we try to go and fix the problem instead of first and foremost, go to God. Some problems we can fix instantly. Yes, we have the answer. We know what to do. Even as Joshua went into the tabernacle after the battle of Ai, Joshua went into the tabernacle. He got on his knees. He prayed to God. And God said, what are you doing? You don't need to pray. There's sin in the camp. That's why you lost the battle. Go out and take care of the sin that was in the camp. So sometimes we know instantly. Other times we have to labor to rest and wait for God to give us that answer that we need to hear. Verse 3, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Notice, because of this personal relationship, that David had made a commitment to a life of prayer, looking up, again, to who? To the author and finisher of his faith. And I will look up. It is so important to take time to lift up our voices, as I've already shared with you this morning. Starting our day off with communion with the Heavenly Father. It says, you shall hear. It means to hear intelligently, often with implication of attention or obedience. And will look up. It means to lean forward, to peer into the distance, by implication to observe or to await. I've had the privilege of being with some people when they've gone home to be with the Lord. And in those final hours, when they're losing their strength, You have to get very, very close to them. You have to turn everything else off, the TV, the radio. You have to really tune out the noise that might be happening in the house or happening outside. And you have to get very, very close. And and I've actually had to put my ear just inches away from that person's mouth as they're trying to express something. That takes a lot of attentiveness. And that's what David is expressing here. I'm attentive. I want to hear from you. He's he's tuning out all the other things that are vying for his attention. And he's just getting so focused. God, I need to hear from you. I'm looking to you. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. It's impossible. Sin cannot stand in the presence of God. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. You see, God does not take delight in our sinful nature. There's absolutely no way that sin, that darkness can dwell in his presence. His glory consumes any darkness that might even try to approach his throne. And David makes that observation that those who bring, who brag about themselves will not be able to stand before him at all. Because my works are as filthy rags as we've read in other verses of the Bible. But as for me, I will come into your house. Again, notice the contrast between the wicked and David. Because David makes a personal commitment, as you have done this morning. But if you look at the numbers, church attendance is actually dwindling in America. But you're here, praise God. You understand this principle, how important it is. So when you run across other Christians and they're not fellowshipping, you need to, I can't get to them, you're there. 
You need to encourage them to get into a Bible-believing church that they need that fellowship. Because when we commit to meet with others, the men's night tomorrow night, women's Bible studies, marriage enrichment, whatever it might be, the young adults this coming Friday night at our house, the 18 to 29-year-olds, if you're married or single, we're meeting at our house this Friday night from 7 to 11 p.m. When you meet around like-minded believers, that encourages you, that strengthens you, that builds you up, that gives you hope, that helps you to realize, I'm not the only one. Because we're not. Look at the room here. We're not. But when you're out there tomorrow morning and you're getting beat up by the world, it's easy to feel I'm the only one. And then you got Tuesday. It's only Monday. I've got Tuesday. Wednesday night, this place should be packed. It's not. It should be. I could, personally, I couldn't make it through, through a week. I come to men's Bible studies and I don't teach. I come because I need the fellowship. I need the encouragement. I come out Wednesday nights. I'm not always teaching on Wednesday nights. I need to be taught. I need to be encouraged. I need to be strengthened. There's fellowship, marriage enrichment nights. Again, all these activities, we don't do it to fill time. We do it to encourage one another because Thursday comes along and we're just dragging in the world. We're just dragging. I, I totally understand why. You're not in fellowship. I would be too. That's why from day one, even when our children were little and our oldest is now, what, 36 years old. We were in church multiple times throughout the week. They're in diapers. Who cares? We're going to church. They're in their terrible twos. So what? They're biting kids in the nursery. They'll get over it. Give them a mouth guard when they show up. You know, just... We're going to church. I mean, people have so many silly excuses. Well, when our children get older, we'll go. Give me a break. You're not, no, you won't. And by the time a child's five, they have 50% of their adult personality. By the time a child is five, guys, be careful. You're here. We appreciate it. But this is an opportunity for you to take this to someone who's not going to church, who has all the excuses. No, no, we need one another. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Notice the relationship that David had. Even though he was king, he could have said, yeah, I'm king. I don't need to, I don't need to go to, I don't need to go to the tabernacle. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. And this is so applicable to the world today. As we go home this week, as we have opportunities on social media or TV, on the internet, what's going to lead us? What's going to direct our paths? For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. David makes a simple plea. Judge them according to their own works, according to their own words. Makes the judgment very simple. But again, notice what David does. He turns them over to God. He turns them over to God. Verse 11. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful 
in you. The word, those two words there, be joyful, it means to jump for a joy, to exalt. To jump for joy, to exalt. Do you have that relationship with God where you can jump for joy even in the midst of trials and tribulations? Again, it's not easy to do. But we should be able to do it. We should be able to ever shout for joy. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. You will surround him. Is the Holy Spirit talking about self-righteousness here? No. Instead, he is talking about those who are already made righteousness by the blood of Jesus. Because God does desire to bless us with the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And I'm not into health and wealth. I'm not into Christian fiction. That God is going to bless you with a new car and the biggest house on the block. Because you won't find that in the scriptures. James 1, 17, 18 says this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Is your house from above? We moved a family in a couple weeks ago and we were moving in the sofa. And you know how that goes. Sofa went a little bit too far. Bing! Oh man, the first ding on the first day! Just, that just happens. It just, it's gonna keep falling apart. It just happens. Notice here though, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. And again, let's wrap it up with these verses in Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Well, what spiritual blessings is he going to give us? What, what good gift? What perfect gift is from above? Just go to your Bibles. Galatians 5, 22. You probably have this verse memorized. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and these are the gifts. These are the good gifts. These are the perfect gifts. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, though, there, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lust, with its passions and desires. If we walk, live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Father, we thank you and praise you that the good gift, the perfect gift that you desire to give us is more of your Holy Spirit. For everything else will fail. Everything else will corrupt. So Father, we thank you and praise you for David and in the Psalms that he encourages us to look up 3,000 years ago. To look up. To get back to the basics. And even as we look at David's life, he made poor choices. He was far from perfect. But after those choices, he, he went back and realized I gotta get back to the basics. I gotta, I gotta go to the tabernacle. I need to be in prayer. I need to be in the Word. I need to be around like-minded believers. Father, that's the same 3,000 years later. It's the same thing for us this morning. That's why we're gathered here this morning.
But Lord, I pray it would not just be a once a week gathering, but we would gather more and more as we see your son's approach coming closer and closer. That we take those opportunities to be together, whether it's with two or three people or, or more, but we'd gather together to encourage and strengthen one another that we might be faithful ambassadors for you. Father, we thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we all stand and sing a song. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we're running a little over. Come up. We would love to pray with you to receive Jesus this morning. If you need prayer for anything, we have oil to anoint you. We'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. My King and my God. For unto Thee will I pray. My voice shalt Thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee. Lord in the morning. Oh Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee.